We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to uh, Transformative Principle, episode 514. We are here continuing with Eric. Uh, please, if you are just checking in, this is uh, a lot of fun, all these episodes, because they build on each other. We got episode 501, 506, 510. Those are in the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org. And uh, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jethro. How are you? I'm doing very well. Happy to... Happy to chat with you as usual. You had mentioned just before we started recording that you listened to the previous session uh, this morning. So what are your thoughts? How do you like listening to yourself a month later? <laughs> I, I still cringe, but it's getting better. I don't yeah. cringe as much. Like just that. Well, the very first episode, I was a guest on your show a year ago. That was hard just to listen to, but yeah. it's getting better. It's getting better. Good. So we talked about uh, a few things. We checked in on things and talked about how things were going. And what we ended with last time was focusing on the individual and not the data um, and giving real attention to people as a people leader and what that looks like. So uh, how have those things been going and and what do you, what do you have to report on those? Well, I, I've been trying to make that more of a focus. And um, it's funny. I, I did this this morning. We talked last month about checking in um, with different staff throughout the week instead of always, you know, getting your laps in at the same time, first, first period or whatever. And so I went, um, an example would be this morning, I went and checked in with a teacher I, I 
rarely see and rarely ask for help with anything. And I went in during their planning period and they're like, Hey, what do you need? And I'm just in my head, I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, this is why Jethro and I have been talking about, you know, like your questions that you gave me, what's on your mind? Uh, you know, what's, what's the challenge you're facing today? And it was kind of awkward for them and for me. Cause they're like, you know, usually if somebody's down here, it's cause I missed a deadline or they need something or whatever, but it's been good. And I think um, I'm getting better at it and, and staff are too. Cause I know I've had some conversations with staff that they brought up topics that they're kind of shy, like, Hey, you know, don't want to make you mad or, you know, they're still getting to know me as a new principal and they kind of avoid touchy subjects or whatever. But I've noticed that um, that's been getting better. The more I've been focused on them and trying to be a more of a people leader instead of a just, you know, instructional leader. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, what, uh, what's on your mind today? What do you want to, what do you want to focus on today? Well, this came up briefly last month and you put the brakes on it and said it's its own whole day conversation, (laughs) teacher evaluations. Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) So I, the district I'm in requires more than I've ever done. And being new, it's kind of like, you know, I've told staff, like, here's my philosophy on teacher evaluations and what, what I want you to expect and get out of them. But it's also a good time, I thought, for you and I to have the conversation about like, okay, you know, they're a mandate, we will do them, we have to do them. But really, what's the purpose? And how can we make them meaningful for for teachers? Yeah. So let's start by, by just going through what it is that you're required to do for, for your teacher evaluation, so that we're aware of what the expectation is. So for non-tenured or Wyoming calls it non-recurring contract status, because we don't really have tenure, um, five informal observations, two formal observations, two summative conferences, and then a start of year professional development plan with goals, a mid-year and an end of year. Okay, so we got five informal observations, two formal observations, two summative conferences, and a start, middle, and end of year goal setting basically thing, right? Yep. So a total of 12 things per teacher. Wow. Okay. And how many teachers do you have? Um, well, if they're past their third year, they have less. You know, it's one formal and three informals. But for new first three-year teachers, we have uh, 10. 10? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 120 things on your to-do list. So if you did one every day, it would almost take the whole year. <laughs> yeah. We only have 148 days of school because we're a four-day school week. Oh man. So really close to that. Yeah. And so what is what are the requirements for uh, experienced teachers? Same three goal, you know, professional development plan goals three informals, one formal, one summative. So that would be eight things. Okay. All right. And so um, what uh, evaluation system are you using? It's kind of a homemade one. It's not Charlotte Danielson or McCrell or 
any of those. All right, good to know. So what are the 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 challenges that you're seeing with your current evaluation system? Um, I think the more requirements you have, like the 12 things that are required for early career teachers, it's it's hard to make all of those meaningful. Or what I've found myself doing is like, as I schedule those and prepare to go in and observe or write up the rubrics, I have good intentions, but then it's like, man, I got to do so many of them. I'm not putting as much time or effort into them to make them meaningful because I got to hurry up and schedule next week's and finish, finish all the paperwork. So I feel like the frequency is high and the, you know, effort is kind of low basically. Mm -hmm. And would it be fair to say that the effort is low because you feel like there's so much that you have to do that it's difficult to put in more effort because you'll just get behind? Is that kind of why you're not putting in high effort? Well, that's part of it. I've also found myself being a little less confident as I write these up since it's my first year seeing all of these people teach. Like I don't have a lot of, you know, background. Whereas if you've been in the same school, your new teachers that year are new, but you're in their classroom more than anybody. Um, so as I fill these out, I'm just like, you know, have I been been in their classroom and observed enough to know if they're a three on this? And I don't know. I just, I, I try and make sure those, that feedback is like accurate and in, and in line with what they're actually doing. And I don't have a lot of context. So that's been part of the problem too, as I fill those out. Yeah. No, like one of the things on our, our rubric, the teacher um, is reflective. Well, how do you observe that when you watch a lesson? Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that is, uh, is very difficult to observe unless they're being intentionally visible about their reflection. Right. And so, yeah, you just, you're probably not going to see it, but you and I both know that most teachers are like, Oh man, that stunk. They don't say that out loud <laughs> and say, all right, kids, that really stunk. I'm going to be reflective now. And uh, we're going to do something different. <laughs> Sometimes that happens, but often that doesn't, they're just like, I hope nobody knows. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you need to have a pre and post conference on either side of any of the observations? I, I do a post conference for each formal. So if I go in and observe a full period, then we'll meet that night or the next day for 30, 45 minutes. So that adds another touch point, right? Yep. And I have been doing pre-meetings, but mostly just to check like, okay, do you have any questions about the process or the rubric? I don't make them lay out like, hey, I want your whole month's lesson plans and everything you've done leading up to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what value do you see in the evaluation process that your district has adopted? Well, I, I think at the most basic level, it's good to get teach, uh, teachers feedback in a way that isn't kind of haphazard or dependent on the principal's 
or assistant principal's schedule, like it is guaranteed time for me to get in classrooms and observe, which is a good thing, and to give them formal feedback, you know, scores and a rubric and all that stuff. So that that part of it is good. Okay, what else? I think the post observation conferences are good because again, you know, making a formality of going over feedback and having conversations with teachers about instruction and strategies is good because otherwise it kind of happens here or there in the hallway between periods through email or, you know, during a planning period, but that is good, especially for me being new to have, have those like required to sit down and actually talk about instruction. Yeah. Um, so in your drive-bys that you're doing, are you doing, are you having conversations about instruction? Yes. But when I started the year and I opened those informal things up, they have the whole teacher rubric on them. And I'm looking at them in August. I'm like, okay, it's the first day of school. I watched the teacher's first period class for 10 minutes. How am I going to fill out a score on all these standards? So what I did is I emailed teachers and said, here's how I'm going to do them the first month and a half, two months of school. I picked one area on the rubric and it was like routines and procedures, Harry Wong, first days of school, 101. And that's all I scored and gave feedback on because I didn't feel like I, like I had no idea how to score all 42 of those things or however many are on our rubric. So I tried to start with like one focused area and that's all we talked about. How do you start a class? How do you transition? How do you end class? What do you do for days you're going to have a sub? Things like that. Okay. Anything else that's valuable to the, in the evaluation process as it stands that you like say, I'm glad this is happening because it's really beneficial. Well, I'd say from the teacher's perspective, it's been interesting. I can tell some of our staff are not used to having observations and evaluations. I don't know if some of them, it just didn't happen, or maybe I know there's principals out there that just fill them out and sign them and don't actually come observe. Maybe that happened. I'm not sure, but I've had a few say like, man, I'm so glad that you came in. You know, I had one teacher write me a thank you card for just doing an informal. And we talked about one little strategy and she's like, no principals ever like watched and then gave me a strategy that works so well. I'm like, man, the bar is low for some time. <laughs> yeah. So I think some of them have found value in just, oh, the principal comes in and gives some feedback. But there's also some that I think it's going to be hard or it's already been hard. Like, why are you coming in my room? No one's ever come in my room. No one's ever, you know, given feedback that way. Yeah, interesting. So do you mind sharing the strategy that was beneficial? Yes. Um, it was the, the teacher and I were just talking about when you have like a big assignment, um, like writing is the best example. Instead of saying, all right, write your introduction, your body and your conclusion paragraph. I, ju I just asked the teacher like, hey, try chunking it where you teach the introduction and then have them write a paragraph and get some feedback, like even from a peer, then go back to their seats, teach or review the next step and just chunking those big assignments down into 10 minute parts and having some state changes. And yeah, she said it worked really well. She's like, I've never had 
that many kids complete the assignment in class as I did the first day I tried it. Hmm. That's great. Why do you think it was beneficial for you to suggest that to her rather than her figuring that out on her own? Probably a lot like the conversations you and I have. You give me the idea and then it's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? But sometimes I just need you coaching me <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, there's been a lot of things like I'll, I'll talk to you like, oh, I'm struggling with this. And then when you tell me, like, try this, it's like, duh. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know what that psychology is called. I'm not a brain scientist, but sometimes just having an outside perspective saying, hey, I don't know, try something like this. Um, helps me get out of my thinking or help that teacher get out of their thinking they were stuck in. Yeah. So it's actually this thing called the Johari window. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that Johari and Nohari window, right? I think so. I just know about the Johari window. So there are things that are known to you and not known to you. And there are things that are known to others and things that are not known to others. So the things that are known to you and known to others are like, they're all out there in the open. Everybody knows it. And like, everybody knows you're a Notre Dame fan. You know it, they know it, <laughs> everybody knows it. Um, and then there are things that are not known to you. And this is like a, a matrix, right? The two by two square. Um, and the things that are known to others, but not known to you are blind spots that you can't see for yourself. And this is where I believe observations and evaluation are most valuable when you can show people the blind spots that exist. Now, in the not known to others, but known to you area, that's the things that go that are going on in your mind that you know are um you're basically projecting these things that are like everything's nice and wonderful, but inside you know things are just falling apart. Those things mm -hmm. really do exist and it's and it's a it's a real thing. And then finally, things that are, are not known to you and not known to others are just unknown things. They're not unknowable, but they are unknown in the present moment. And and when I think about this, if you are going into a teacher's classroom and, and doing observations and you are sharing things that are known to them, regardless of how good they are, they're not ever going to be beneficial because they already know those things. So when a when a principal comes in and is like, hey, you should do this strategy, and the person already knows the strategy and knows that it hasn't worked or doesn't work for them or whatever, or they've tried it and it hasn't been successful, that is really pointless, right? So the only way that you can really be successful with your coaching is by coaching them on the things that are not known to them. I have heard of that and I've never thought about that with teacher evaluations, those blind spots. Yeah. So that's the only help that they ever need. And so what you did successfully, whether you can articulate it or not, is you pointed out a blind spot that they didn't know that they had, which was chunk it down into smaller pieces that are more manageable. And that was amazing because that was exactly something that they did not know. And so if you, the, the trouble we get into with observations and evaluations is that we try to give teachers feedback that they already know or that isn't really helpful to them. 
that's why people hate mm-hmm. evaluations and observations because they they get feedback that they already know works or doesn't work and it's not really successful there's a twitter account called revolving door admin and it's pretty funny because they talk about you know all the horrible things that like all the worst parts of being an administrator and what teachers think of administrators when they're not being effective and that's one of the things is thank you for coming in and telling me for the 300th time that i should you know start the class with uh, an exercise or whatever and do things in a certain way and it's not really helpful because it's not you don't know the person and you don't know what is really going to help them and this is a very good example your your example of how you actually found out what the person knew and didn't knew didn't know <laughs> and you helped them put into place something that was blind to them before when you think about it from that perspective how how does that support or refute your experience with this teacher? I think it's dead on. It it makes me wish you could pull up all that, all those standards and indicators on a teacher eval and just agree to cross off most of them. Like if the teacher says, I know where I'm at and I know you know where I'm at. Okay. We don't need to talk about that. Score it. Type exactly. of comment. But, yes. So the thing that you said there, that you didn't totally say outright is that everything that is known to the teacher is a complete waste of time on the evaluation. So whether they're good or not, if they know where they're at, then there's no point in discussing it. So that I think would be the biggest takeaway for any observation conference or anything that you do with a teacher is whatever they can see, whatever they know about, you just completely ignore because there's really no point except in that you want to give them opportunities to brag and say, these are the good things that I'm doing. That's really the only purpose for that. So you can brag about them. They can brag about themselves, but to talk about the things that are already obvious to them is a waste of everybody's time. And nobody's going to walk away from that saying this was great, except in that they will feel fluffed up and appreciated because of that, which is fine. Like there's an aspect of that that needs to happen. But if you're trying to tell someone what they already know, it's not, it's not going to be effective. Yeah. It's interesting because in my old district, the way I would do the post observation conference is, you know, I'd go in and observe and I'd fill out the rubric and type up comments, but then I would pull up their self-evaluation from the beginning of the year and whether it was a five, a four, or a three on the rubric, I would cross out the ones that we had the same score. And I I don't know why I started doing that, but it worked really well. So we only talked about ones where I had them higher than themselves or they had higher than I marked them. And my plan was to do that here, but then in this district, teachers don't do a self-evaluation. <laughs> so I didn't have a like an easy way, but Oh, that makes me feel better about how I did them in the past. Like, okay, you know, you're a three on this. We don't need to talk about it. You know, if you wanted to get better at that thing, like a bell ringer or whatever your example was, they would have already done it. They're not waiting for me to do an evaluation. Exactly. And and that is so key because we talk a lot about empowering our teachers. And the reality is they're already empowered. They already are in control of their lives. 
we don't need to pretend like we can actually give them power over that. They already have that. So for us to say something like that is really missing the mark. What we really need to work on is, and also side note, it doesn't matter if they're a one or a four or wherever they're at on that scale. What matters is that they know where they're at and they then get to decide what they're going to do with it. So if somebody is a one on engaging students, for example, or let's let's do something better. Let's say that somebody is a one on giving kids opportunities to respond and they're standing up in front of the class lecturing the whole time and kids never do anything during their whole lecture. It, most evaluation systems would say kids need opportunities to respond. And so that's what we would focus on is giving them opportunities to respond. And so that's something where somebody could say, yeah, I just lecture and that's all I do. And it works because my kids do well on assessments and I can see that they're engaged most of the time. So I'm not going to give them opportunities to respond because what I'm doing is fine. So I will take a one rating or a not effective rating on that. And you don't need to waste any time trying to convince them why doing better on that is worthwhile. What does need to happen, though, is that if they are struggling in an area and they want to improve, that's where you give them feedback on things that they might not be able to see, because that's when you're actually going to have a measurable impact that says, yes, I've actually done something. If they already know the answer, your suggestions and advice aren't going to do anything. So is basing that on a teacher's self-evaluation the best way to do that? I, I think it's the best way to start it. So I think what you did before with taking their self-evaluation and saying, we agree on these things and just tossing them out, not worrying about them. I think that's totally appropriate way to do it. That would be a worthwhile exercise to do with your current district, even though it's not required. But for that first goal setting part of the year, have have them review their themselves and say where they think they are. And if they think that they're great, that's fine. <laughs> There's no problem with that. Go with it. It doesn't matter because 97% of our teachers are already effective anyway. So, you know, it's not the only place where you really need to worry about that is where it's drastically different from what you're actually seeing in the classroom. And if you're seeing that they're not great, then you can have a talk about it and go through that process with them there. So like big picture, the the purpose is to make teacher evaluations meaningful, regardless of how many and what rubric and what, how your district does them. So finding blind spots is the best way to do that. Um, I also think that, you know, you mentioned there's exceptions to that. Like if a teacher knows they're exceptional at, you know, questioning strategies, it's worth it in my mind to make sure they walk out of that conversation knowing like my principal recognizes that and it makes me feel valued that that's effective and I've worked hard at it. But what else, like at the end of the day, should be the goal to get out of evaluations? You got to do them. It's a mandate. Find some blind spots, find some positives. But, you know, do you see any other any other positives like building trust with staff is one that I've thought can come through evaluations? Well, it's not going to because you're in a position of power and you have the final say on whether or not they are effective. So using the evaluation to build trust is not, that's not, that's just not going to work. And it's not something that is even a very effective way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's two things with evaluations. Number one, 
it's legislatively convenient for other people to see that we have good teachers in our schools. So they are hoops to jump through. Absolutely jump through the hoops, get it done, but recognize that that's not where the change and the growth is really going to come from. There may be situations where that happens, but your drive-by lapse is way better at building trust and way better at helping your teachers than than any of the evaluation stuff will be. The second thing is that you do observations to see if your vision for the school is being implemented. And so if you're in their classrooms and you're seeing that they're not doing the things that we say, this is what matters at our school, then that's an area where you're always going to struggle. So you want to make sure that those things focus on whether or not your vision for the school is being implemented. And by extension, the district's vision for the school and, and, you know, strategic plans and bringing all that stuff in, of course, but really your purpose there is to say, is what's happening in this classroom, what we have agreed is supposed to be happening in this classroom. And if you take that very simple approach, then you can start coaching and giving feedback on those things as they relate to the vision. That's actually going to show that things are actually happening that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's almost like the classroom observation is like a reality check. Like, okay, we have this on a poster and we talked about this in a meeting and our PLCs have been working on this, but now let's see like what's actually happening day to day in the classroom. Yeah. And if you do that, I 100% believe that you're going to have the change you want to happen faster and more effectively if that's the measuring stick that you're using. Um, And so, for example, in my school, we wanted to be doing everything personalized learning. And so we wanted kids to have voice and choice all throughout the day. And so when I would do observations, I I would ask myself, where do the kids have voice and choice? Where do they get to have their own interests come out in this in this lesson. And it can happen in every single lesson. And so they could be something as simple as the teacher asking, has anybody heard this, you know, heard of this event before? Does anybody have any connection to it? Like that is a very simple way to make it relevant to the kids and something that's really basic, but powerful when you're doing that all day long and throughout all your classes. Yeah. Well, and it gives you a better idea if things aren't lining up with the vision or your focus, how, where are you actually at and what do you need to do to get more classrooms on board? Yep. It helps you decide how to talk with that teacher, how to talk with all the teachers at once. You know, everybody hates it when the whole staff gets called out for one teacher's misbehavior, right? You know, Mm -hmm. this one teacher is not asking kids enough questions. And so therefore we're going to have a training for the whole staff on asking questions when everybody in there, except for this one person feels like they're doing it. And that person doesn't even get that. They're the ones who are being singled out for it. It's just, (laughs) it's frustrating and a waste of time. Yeah. The shotgun approach. Yeah. It's, it's no good. You know, everybody gets an email because one person went over their copy quota. Exactly. What a waste, especially when you're tracking it, you know exactly who went over the quota. It's ridiculous. Okay, well, I think that's a good dent in this question about evaluation. So what action are you going to take as a result of this conversation today? Regardless of if if it's required, I think having self-evaluations at the start of the year 
is a must have. And I've never had any, like your actual um, psychological term and science and research to back that up. But after hearing that, it makes sense and reinforces like that was a, a good way to do evaluations in a more meaningful way. So I, th I thought about that, but then I'm like, really, as a new principal, you're going to add one more thing that only your building's going to have to do. And I didn't know there was uh, enough support behind that. But I, I think walking out of here when we log off today, that's going to be a must moving forward to help yeah. focus those conversations on blind spots. Yep. And you can do it whenever you want. You don't like it's it's not the beginning of the year anymore. That's totally fine. Do it now. What what's mm -hmm. the problem with it? Make your middle of the year meetings, the goal setting meetings, make them about this. And at least that way, you're basing it on something realistic. They're having their own ability to say, this is what matters to me. And that's going to make the whole process more meaningful and more valuable. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Well, thank you. I've looked forward to, because when we got off our last coaching session last month, I'm like, well, I know come uh, next month, we're definitely going to talk teacher evaluations. Yeah. I've good. been looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's great. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Eric. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Jethro. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.